Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen.
thank you, Lord, for drawing us close to you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Praise you, mighty God. Glory, glory, Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise his holy name. Amen. You may be seated, Judah. Thank you. Children, you dismissed. Amplify. Dismiss. Good job, man. I can't say that when Shannon's here. I mean, appreciate Judah. You have your Bibles with you, open to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to begin reading with the first verse through the ninth. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played, and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. The relationship between Jonathan and David was a covenant of the Lord in which God himself was a witness and surety of the covenant. Hallelujah. I want to talk to you this morning about blood covenants, and one in particular, this one with Jonathan and David. Uh, first of all, a blood covenant is the most sacred promise, the most sacred agreement that any two people could ever make. It's an agreement between at least two or more parties that also includes their families and it cannot be broken for any reason. Even death cannot break a blood covenant. If one dies, then the responsibility of the covenant is passed on to the next generation and even beyond. So a covenant is a serious thing, especially when it's sworn in blood. And there's basically nine steps in a blood covenant ceremony, but not all nine steps have to be performed in order for it to be a covenant. But if you see any of these practices in the Old Testament or the New Testament, 
you can be assured a covenant is being cut by two parties or more. And the first thing that they'll do, and what we've seen in our opening scripture, is an exchange of their coats and robes. And in the Hebrew culture, the coat represents the person himself. So when he offered the robe, he was offering his very self, his very life to David. And then there's an exchange of belts. They take off their belts and exchange them. And the belt is also called a girdle. Uh, and it's not what you think it is. It's something that upholds the weapons of that warrior. It will hold his sword, his spear. He can hang a bow on it, whatever kind of weapons that he has. And so those weapons represent his protection for his covenant brother. So he's swearing by exchanging those weapons that I'll protect you and I'll fight for you. And then there's the actual cutting of the covenant and the shedding of blood. And in this particular part, an animal is killed and cut down the middle and the two halves are laid opposite each other. And then the two parties would walk in a figure eight up and down and around and through the blood that was shed by those animals and they would declare that may the same thing happen to me that happened to these animals if I break my covenant with you. And then there would be the cutting of themselves where they would raise their right arms and cut the palm of their hand or their wrists and not just a little prick or a little bitty cut but a gash and the blood would be shed and actually flow. And then they would take and they would grab hands together and they would rub that blood together and cause it to intermingle, which means that my life is coming into you, your life is coming into me. And they would make a prominent scar. Sometimes they would even put ash in the scar and rub that ash in it so when it healed over, it would be more prominent and it would show more. And then there'd be an exchange of names. And each one takes part in each other's name and incorporates it into their own name. You know, I would become uh, Michael Mercer Brunzo. He'd become Daryl Brunzo Mercer. And our names would actually be inter intertwined and we would become family. And then that scar would be the outward evidence of the covenant that others could see and know that you were in covenant with someone. And uh, for example, if uh, you came upon somebody that was hostile towards you, you would hold up your hand and show the scar. And that would tell them that you were in covenant with some, someone and there was more to you than meets the eye. And they knew that if they mess with you, they would have to mess with your covenant brother and they don't know how big he is. You ever what, listen to that Roy Mercer? He, he, talking to somebody on the phone and pulling their leg and he said he'd say I'll come over there and whoop you I'll open up a can of uh, whoop butt on you and then he say how big old boy are you anyway so it's important you know how big old boy is before you threaten him right so they didn't know how big your partner was or what was behind him and then there would be the terms of the covenant. They'd speak the terms of the covenant in front of witnesses and list all their assets and liabilities because each party takes on the other party's assets and liabilities. Your property and your uh, bills and liabilities become mine and mine become yours. And if there's every day you can't pay your rent, I'll pay it for you and vice versa. So they would uh, declare those agreements and then 
they would do it in front of witnesses. And basically what they're saying is, I assume you and you assume me and my family and my generations and future family. Then there'd be a memorial meal and they'd sit down and eat a memorial meal and a loaf of bread would be broken in half and each one feeds his half to the other. And they'd say, this is my body and I'm giving it for you. And then they would uh, drink wine and sometimes they would even uh, put a few drops of each other's blood in the wine and actually drink the, the wine and they're saying, you know, I'm coming into you and you're coming into me. And uh, we get a lot of the marriage, a lot of the marriage ceremony comes from blood covenant uh, rituals. Uh, you know, the sharing of the toast and the sharing of the cake, it, it's exactly what it means. And they're saying, my blood is now your blood and I'm willing to shed it for you. And finally, they plant a memorial tree. Uh, they plant a tree as a memorial to the covenant and then they would sprinkle it with some blood that they saved from the animal that they split in two and sacrificed. And they sprinkle that tree with that blood and the blood would run down the tree and pool at the base of the tree, be soaked into the ground. And then every time they seen that tree, wherever they planted it, it would remind them of the covenant that they had with somebody. And they would teach their children and their children's children or their grandchildren that this tree represents a covenant that I have with so-and-so. And when I die, you have to remember to honor that covenant. And so the word covenant actually means to cut till the blood flows. So like I said, it's not just a little uh, stick in the finger or something like they, they do at the hospitals to test your blood or something. It's an actual gash. They would take a sharp knife and they would grab it with their palm and then they would just pull it through their palm and leave a big gash there. Uh, so the blood would have to flow. But as you read the Bible, you'll find out that blood is woven through the entire fabric of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You'll find blood in every book of the Bible. And uh, as a matter of fact, in, in Leviticus 17:11, God says, without uh, the shedding of blood, or the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so... Uh, uh, that's not only true about our flesh. You drain your blood out, you die because you drain your life out. And uh, it's the same with, with spiritual life. Without the blood of Jesus, our spiritual life would be there. We wouldn't have a spiritual life. So blood is important to God. And he said without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So there can't be any forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And in the Old Testament, it was the shedding of animal blood. But in the New Testament, it was the shedding of the blood of Christ himself. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the Bible is a copy of two covenants, an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. And the Old and New Covenants were both established and ratified through the blood. Like I said, the Old ratified through the blood of animals, the New or the blood of Jesus. Now, there's a story... And I imagine it's true. I mean, it was eyewitness and written by people that actually experienced it. And that's when Sir Henry Morton Stanley conducted his famed search for the missionary, Dr. David Livingston in Africa. And uh, you may remember it if you're anywhere near my age. So, uh, it was in the 1800s, but there was prominent stories about it. And uh, Dr. Stanley, said and it became famous this quote he says 
when he found him, he said, Dr. Livingston, I presume. And that became a famous saying. Uh, you probably wouldn't remember it if you ain't close to my age. But anyway, he searched for him, and he comes upon this particularly powerful tribe that tried to hinder his journey and stop him from going past them. You know, it was like a, a roadblock kind of thing. And so uh, the guy that was with him explained that if he wanted to continue his search, he would have to cut a covenant with that chief, that tribal chief. And that would uh, allow him to continue his journey. And so part of the covenant ceremony was the exchanging of a gift. And so the chief wanted Stanley's little goat. And Stanley had a hard time giving up the goat because uh, the goat gave milk, and he needed that milk for some type of uh, deficiency that he had. So he eventually agreed to do it, and so in return, the chief gives him this tall copper-wrapped spear with an emblem on it. And it didn't seem like an impressive gift to Dr. Stanley because he didn't understand it, and he figured, well, at best, it would be a good souvenir to bring back home. And so the chief got the goat, and he was happy with the goat, I don't know if he ate it or what, but he was happy with it. Maybe he just kept it for the milk like Dr. Stanley did. But anyway, they cut this covenant, they complete this covenant ceremony, and the blood was shed, and they rubbed hands together and the whole nine yards. And then, uh, like I said, in a true blood covenant ceremony, it's not just a little stick. It's, pretty, it's a pretty significant cut. And anyway, they clasped hands and intermingled their blood and they continued on their journey. And it wasn't long before Dr. Stanley and his party meets another tribe. And this tribe was actually a cannibalistic human flesh-eating tribe. And as they approached them with spears and bows in hand, they're shouting, Niyama, Niyama, which means meat, meat. So they're thinking of a good meal. And just as they're poised to attack, Dr. Stanley's guide told them, hold up the spear, hold up the spear. And so Dr. Stanley grabbed that spear, which he thought was just a souvenir up to that point, and when he held it up, the tribes all stopped and they bowed before Dr. Stanley. And the guy had explained to him later, he said that spear and the emblem represented the power and authority of that chief and that scar on your hand meant that you were in covenant relationship with him and they didn't want to mess with you because that was a more powerful chief. So they honored that covenant. As primitive as they were, they honored covenants. If we would only do that today. Uh, you know, uh, the handshake came from a covenant ceremony. You know, after they cut their hands and they put them together, that's where we got our handshake. And that handshake used to mean something. I don't know if it means anything anymore with a lot of people, but if I shook your hand on something, that was a contract. That was a covenant to me, and I would see that I fulfilled that promise, whatever it was or the thing that we shook on. Nowadays, it's just, people don't even want to shake nowadays, but if they do shake, a lot of times it's just meaningless. And I taught my boys when they were little that when you shake a man's hand, I says, you grip that hand, you look him in the eye, and you squeeze that hand and show some strength. Don't hand him no dead fish to shake, you know? Because a handshake always meant something to me. It still does. 
But anyway, they were able to continue their journey and he eventually did find Dr. Livingston and spent a couple years with him. And uh, then Dr. Livingston died in Africa, but he dedicated his entire life there. And it's said that while his body was shipped back to England, it's, it's uh, buried at Westminster, Westminster Abbey. But they said that the natives cut his heart out and buried his heart in Africa because they said his heart belonged to Africa. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how true that is. I know his body's in Westminster. I don't know about the other part. That was just part of the story. But uh, these people understood a blood covenant. And most of the world and most of the cultures of the world do understand a blood covenant, how sacred it is. Uh, we call them treaties now between countries. You know, the stronger country or the weaker country makes a treaty with the stronger country for the same benefits of a covenant. If I get in trouble, you'll help me, you know. And they're called allies, and, and they have treaties instead of blood covenants but they're honored the same way or should be honored the same way. I don't know about today. Uh, we better honor ours, I know that, or this country's gonna be in trouble, uh, especially when it comes to uh, Israel. We have a, we're allied with Israel right now. And I don't know how strong the relationship is, but we better not break it. God said, I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you, so. But anyway, remember when Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle, he was pledging his protection and all his resources to David, and I'm sure David did the same. You know, Jonathan probably had a fancy sword and a fancy knife, and David, all he had was a slingshot at that time, you know, but I'm sure that they exchanged those weapons in the ceremony. So Jonathan cuts covenant with David because he loved him as a brother. The Bible made that clear. So there's covenants of love as well. The marriage covenant is a covenant of love. And uh, although we don't cut ourselves and mingle blood, uh, that's what the cake represents, the mingling of the two bodies, the communion represents the same thing. But David also loved Jonathan's father, King Saul. And he always had King Saul's best interest at heart. He wants to show Saul some love, but Saul's jealousy and envy over David because of his 10,000s and Saul's thousands, uh, Saul wouldn't allow him to do that. And so Saul is the very opposite of David. He spends most of his time in disobedience outside the will of God. He's rebellious and he, think, he seeks to do his own thing rather than God's thing. And on the other hand, David has a heart after God. So Saul doesn't want anybody telling him what to do, especially God. And you've seen that rebellion in him when he was told to, to uh, slay uh, King Amalek and the Amalekites and don't spare anything. And uh, then uh, the prophet uh, Samuel comes to offer the sacrifice and finds out that uh, Saul already did it and he didn't kill everybody like he was supposed to. And so he lost the kingdom because of that, because of his disobedience and rebellion, Saul loses the kingdom. But anyway, he don't want anybody telling him what to do, especially God. And I don't know if you can think of anybody like that, but you should be able to. Uh, matter of fact, you've seen 
You've seen them in the mirror this morning before you left the house. We're just like Saul was. Amen? Rebellious, disobedient. Didn't want anybody telling us what to do, especially God. But Saul has this unhealthy fear of David. And it becomes such an obsession that he hunts David down and on several different occasions tries to kill him. But God had favor on David. So David also had opportunities to kill Saul, but he didn't because he said, I'll not touch God's anointed. So David honored Saul where Saul didn't honor him. But anyway, Jonathan eventually marries and he has a son named Mephibosheth. Say that five times with crackers in your mouth. And when Mephibosheth is five years old, Saul and Jonathan are both killed in the battle at Jezreel. And it's not only terrible news uh, because of their deaths, but it's also terrible news uh, because in that culture, the incoming king would put to death the entire house of the previous reigning king uh, so that there would never be an opportunity for an uprising or a rebellion against the new king. So they would kill them all. But, uh, and that's what Mephibosheth thought was going to happen to him or, or his family did. But David didn't want to do that because he loved Saul's family. And he had this covenant with Jonathan, Mephibosheth's father. Uh, only thing is, the family is telling Mephibosheth that they have to flee because David wants to kill him. So he gets this wrong idea about David. And, uh, so when the news reaches Jerusalem that Mephibosheth's father and grandfather were killed, uh, Mephibosheth's nanny or nurse grabs him up and goes to flee with him and she falls on top of him and she crushes his two little feet and he becomes crippled because there's no medical treatment for that kind of injury back then, you know. Uh, they didn't know how to reset bones and stuff like that, so whatever was broken would heal in that position. And so uh, they go to this place to hide called Lodabar. And Lodabar means pastureless. It means no sowing, no reaping. It's like a barren wilderness, a barren desert. It's dry and desolate. And uh, so this is where they take refuge and hide because they've been told that David is going to hunt him down and kill him when he finds him. And so that becomes Mephibosheth's prison of emptiness and desolation and isolation. And uh, His crippled feet are a constant reminder of his hatred towards David because he thinks that David wants to kill him. And it was David that caused his crippled feet to become crippled. So as a result, his heart hardens against David. And he's convinced that David hates him as much as he hates David and that David is going to one day hunt him down and kill him. So Mephibosheth knows that if his grandfather and father were still alive, he'd be living in the palace, eating at the king's table, sleeping in the king-sized bed with silk sheets and soft pillows. And now he's on a makeshift cot with rags and uh, in a desolate place, uh, lifeless place instead. So that just adds to his resentment. So he's living this destitute life in this place called Lodabar, eating whatever crumbs he can manage to scrap up and, and sleeping like a dog on a cot. 
But in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we find David is wondering if there's any of Saul's family still alive because he wants to show them kindness and he wants to fulfill his responsibilities of the covenant and he wants to bless whoever is alive from Saul's family, not hunt him down and kill him. But every time he asks someone from Saul's uh, family or uh, his servants, administration and stuff, they say nothing because they believe the lies that were told to them about David wanting to kill Mephibosheth if he could find him. But one day this one servant by the name of Ziba, he decides to tell him, yes, Jonathan has a son by the name of Mephibosheth and he's hiding in a place at Lodabar. He trusted David. So David sends an, uh, a contingent of chariots and soldiers to fetch Mephibosheth. So when they arrive in Lodabar, Mephibosheth, of course, thinks that, well, David finally found me, and he's going to kill me. And I really believe that Mephibosheth was at a place in his life where he would welcome death because he was tired of living that desolate life, eating uh, whatever he could scratch up, and, uh, living in that desert place like he was. And so, but to his surprise, they don't kill him. As a matter of fact, they swoop him up, and put him in one of David's fastest chariots or coaches, whatever they sent there to, to fetch him, and they bring him back to the palace. So Mephibosheth is thinking, well, David must want to kill me personally. And so they bring him before the throne of David, and they set him down in front of David, and he's thinking, well, any minute now, David's going to lop my head off, you know, and I'll be gone, it'll be over. Uh, but David tells Mephibosheth, he says, Mephibosheth, I want to show you kindness because I'm a, I, I have a covenant with your father, Jonathan, and I want to honor that covenant. And I want to restore everything to you and your family. I want to give you and your family land and buildings and everything that you had with your, with your grandfather Saul. But I want you to live in the palace with me. I want you to live in the palace and sit at my table and eat at my table and sleep in the palace. Everything in this palace is yours. And the rest of your family will be blessed, I guarantee you. And Mephibosheth, he can't believe what he's hearing. He's like, wait a minute, I've been told that you hated me. I've been told that you would hunt me down and kill me if you had the opportunity. And now you want to show me kindness? He says, you don't know what, what I've said about you. You don't know how I felt about you in my heart. You don't know how I took your name in vain and I said bad things about you. And David said, it don't make any difference. He says, but and Mephibosheth even said, I don't deserve your kindness. I'm a lowly dog. And he was feeling bad about the way he felt about David. And David said, I know you don't deserve my kindness, but you're getting it because of the covenant that I have with your father, and I'm honoring that covenant. See how, they, how important a covenant is and uh, how honoring it is? And he said that I cut a covenant with your father and shed blood and inter intermingled my blood with your father's blood, and that makes you my family. You're my son, just like uh, I had you myself. So he's saying that I'll bless you, I'll restore you, I'll forgive your past wrongs against me, 
And he says, my house is your house, and you'll live with me in the palace, and you'll sit at my table. I'll be a father to you, and I'll adopt you as my own son. That probably blew Mephibosheth away. And maybe even David showed him a scar in his hand as proof of the covenant. But anyway, he's shaken by all of this. He doesn't know what to think, and he can hardly believe the good news. But now he has a choice to make. He can accept the covenant and enter into the family with David, or he can go back to Lodabar. I don't know how long he thought, probably not too long, and he decided to become a part of that covenant. He, he decided to enter into that covenant, but it's always by choice. A covenant always comes by choice. If you enter into a covenant, it's because you choose to. Nobody can make you, they can't force you. So he's faced with this decision and he accepts. But he had to swallow his pride, humble himself, and admit that he was wrong about King David uh, before he actually could enter into that covenant. In other words, there had to be some repentance there. But I told you that story because I want you to realize the power of a blood covenant along with the story about Dr. Stanley and Dr. Livingston. But let me show you something that's really amazing about this story. Although it being type and shadow is just as true uh, as it is with David and Jonathan. And if those of you that like types and shadows, I'm going to type and shadow you all over the place right now. <laughs> but in this story, we're just like Mephibosheth. Before we come to Christ, we're living in a place called Lodabar. The wilderness of life without God. And uh, just like Saul, we didn't want to be told what to do. And we didn't want God telling us uh, not to smoke, not to drink, not to party, not to take drugs. We didn't want God spoiling our fun. And so we shunned God. And we believed things that were said about God that weren't true. And we even repeated some of them. And we used his name in vain. Probably just like Mephibosheth did. We didn't know that he wanted to take us out of this wilderness of nothingness and dryness and pastureless and bring us to the palace and sit us at his table to eat with him. He didn't, we didn't know that he loved us and we didn't know that he wanted to bless us Amen. and, and uh, give us an invitation to the covenant. We didn't know that because we're in the family of Saul, disobedient, rebellious, doing our own thing. But somehow we don't know God loves us. We heard it. We heard sermons. We heard people say that God loves you, but we didn't realize and we didn't want to believe it. And we didn't want to believe that God wanted to bless us. We thought he was going to spoil our fun. So Jonathan, in type, was, was in the family of Saul, yet he didn't really belong there. He was more like David who delighted to do the will of God. He was very much Saul, but he was also very much David. And he was like Jesus, the word of God who became flesh. He dwelt among us, yet he didn't belong. He didn't really fit in. He was rejected by his own. He was very much God, but at the same time, very much man. He wasn't a 50-50 blend. He was 100% man and 100% God. 
And that was important. It had to be that way. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human flesh, or a human body. He was God in the flesh, not half and half. So here's why it's important. If God became a man while at the same time remaining God, then he could stand in for all creation because he created us. He could represent all of mankind, and God could take the hand, Jesus could take the hand of God and the hand of man and bring them together into his body. That's why it's important that he was all God and all man, not a 50-50 blend, so that he could become the uh, Ark of the Covenant. He could become the meeting place for man and God. And there's only one place that man and God can meet, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. There's no way to meet with God except through the Son. So that's why it's important that he was qualified as God and qualified as a man. All humanity would be in him, and he could take the place of everyone who ever lived. And being equal to God, even though a man, now listen carefully, equal with God and yet still a man, he could enter into covenant with himself. He could enter into covenant with himself on behalf of all humanity. I know it sounds confusing, but it's simple. If you look at uh, the covenant that he cut with Abraham, where Abraham cut up that heifer and the gold and two doves and, and all of that on the side of the mountain, he split them in half and he walked between them. And I'm telling you, that was a job for Abraham to cut up an 800-pound heifer and, and all those other animals and walk between them. But something strange happened. Abraham was put to sleep. Why? Because man could have no other part in the covenant. He wasn't good enough to cut covenant with God himself. And so there was a burning lamp and a smoking flask that came down from heaven and walked, the covenant walked through them animals and that was God and the, the preeminent Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. And they walked and they cut covenant on behalf of man. Because man couldn't make that covenant walk with God. God had to walk in his place. And he did that through Jesus Christ. So uh, all humanity is there and all of God is there. And they cut covenant on our behalf. Now, Jesus is the perfect God-man. 1 Peter 1.18 says, We were there when the covenant was cut because as our creator, we were in him. That's why Paul said, I was crucified with him. And I was buried with him and I was raised with him. Why? Because he was in him. We're in him. And in God's own time, he came to earth as one of us flesh and blood and bones. Adam lost it as a man. Jesus got it back as a man. It had to be done legally like that. And in the covenant ceremony, a meal is shared. A lamb is sacrificed and the blood of that lamb, uh, that innocent lamb, is poured upon the memorial tree that's planted as a reminder of the covenant that was cut. Now after Jesus and his disciples shared their last supper together we're going to have communion today as you know they participated in a 
covenant meal, bread and wine, and Jesus declared, this cup represents what? The new covenant in my blood. So what was Jesus doing? He was completing the covenant ceremony. And he even declared that this covenant, this blood is uh, for in my covenant. Uh, the cup represents the new covenant in my blood. And then after the meal, Jesus went out and left a memorial to the covenant. A tree planted on Calvary. How many knows that the cross is also called a tree? <coughs> Was nailed to that cross, shed his blood on that cross, and it went down to the base of that tree. So the sacrificed lamb stained that tree with his own blood. Hallelujah. And it wasn't just a cut. It was all his blood poured out at that cross. And that blood-stained tree stands as a memorial to the covenant that God cut with man. And every time we look at the cross, it's a reminder of the covenant that we are in with God himself. It's one thing to cut covenant with a good friend or an ally. But to be able to cut covenant with God himself... That's crazy. And yet God did it for us. And you know, God honors a covenant. And God honors the blood. I mean, it starts in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sinned through disobedience and rebellion. And they realized they were naked and they hid in the garden. And Adam took some fig leaves and covered him and Eve trying to cover up their sin with fig leaves. But God comes along and he said, Why art thou, Adam? What have you done? Uh, we hid because we're naked. How do, you, how, how do you know you're naked? Why are you naked? Because we ate of the tree. And so what does God do? He kills two innocent animals. I don't know if they were lambs or bulls or goats or what. He kills two animals, takes their skins, and covers Adam and Eve with the skins. Not to keep them warm, but to cover them with the bloody skins of those two sacrificed innocent animals. See, man's way is to hide their sin. God's way is to atone for it. And the only thing that would atone for it was the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Adam, your sins need to be remitted, and the only way we're going to do it is through these innocent animals dying. And so Adam introduced death into the world. See, God created everything, including death. But there was no death in the earth. There was only life in the earth. Adam, you just obey me. Don't eat from this tree. All the other trees are yours. The, uh, there's uh, the, the tree with the healing leaves of healing on it. You eat from this tree. You live eternally. You live happily. All the animals are in submission to you. You have dominion over everything that I created. You tell a lion to come, and he will come. You tell a lion to go, and he will go. Why? Because you have my dominion. But the day you eat that tree, I'm going to have to turn death loose. And death will be able to kill. And that's what Adam experienced that day. And then he has to drive him from the, from the garden. And he places the cherubim there with a flaming sword. And Adam and Eve now have to make their living by, by the ground, the sweat of his brow until the ground. 
And so they have two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain decides to kill his brother Abel because of jealousy. And, uh, you know, they learned from Adam they had to sacrifice. Well, Abel comes with a fit sacrifice, blood. He killed an animal, slaughtered an instant animal, and he brought a sacrifice of blood. But Cain, in the process of time, in other words, he, when he was good and ready, he scooped up some of what he grew from the ground, because he was a tiller of the ground, and he brings that half-baked sacrifice, presents it before God, and God didn't accept it. And God says, you can still do what's right. In other words, go bring an acceptable sacrifice just like your brother, and it'll be all right. But rather than do that, he lures his brother into the field and he kills his brother. And the blood of his brother drains into the ground. And God tells him the same thing he did Adam. He said, what did you do? And Cain uh, says, what are you talking about? I didn't do nothing. And God says, yes, you did. Your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. How many know blood has a voice? And God heard that blood crying out. And so he banishes Cain from the land. He says, you'll be a vagabond the rest of your life. Well, as soon as somebody finds out what I did, they'll kill me. He said, no, they won't. I'll put a mark on your forehead. They won't touch you. He said, I'll make sure that you live this sentence out. And he bans them from the land. So it's the blood plus nothing. It's always been the blood from... From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about the blood. God honors the blood. So when you make a blood covenant with somebody, you better darn well keep it. Not only with him. If he dies, you keep it with his family. And you go from one generation, you pass it to your generation, and you continue that blood covenant. It never ends. Why? God was setting something up. And when he made covenant with man... Uh, Abraham represented man and God represented himself and Jesus cut covenant in place of Abraham that was forever God will never break that covenant but he always gives us a choice to enter in it's our choice to enter into that covenant I entered it didn't you hallelujah Oh, let me see where I was at. But here's the, here, Jesus, the sacrificial lamb of God, he cuts covenant for all mankind. And according to the word, we were there. And he exchanged garments with us. He took our robe of self-righteousness that Isaiah described as filthy rags, and he exchanged it for his robe of righteousness. He says, I'll take your unrighteousness. I give you my righteousness. You can't earn it. It was given to us. It was bestowed upon us. He took our nature. He took all of our liabilities, our degradation, our sin, everything that we had. How many, how many know we didn't have much to offer him? He took it all. And a lot of times, covenants are lopsided like that. David was a poor little shepherd, shepherd boy. Jonathan was next in line for the throne. So Jonathan had more to give than David did. But that didn't stop Jonathan. God had more to give than we did, but that didn't stop God. We exchanged names. He became the son of man. 
and we became Christians. In other words, Christ, I am. We exchanged natures. He took our nature, we took on his nature, the nature of God. We became a part of him. He came to live in our hearts. And now we can sit and feast at his table. Matter of fact, he said, uh, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Come sit at my table, eat. Hallelujah. But we must realize, like Mephibosheth, we don't deserve God's kindness. We were like Mephibosheth said, a dog. We didn't deserve his kindness. But God says it has nothing to do with what we deserve. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. It's all about mercy and grace. His mercy and grace is why we get what we get. He says, I'll exchange names with you and you will be called a Christian. I'll be called the son of man. The scar you bear will be circumcision of the heart. How many knows the old covenant uh, circumcision of the flesh? You had to have circumcision of the flesh in order to enter into the covenant. There had to be bloodshed on your part too. But here, uh, Paul said we're circumcised of heart. That's our proof of the covenant. We got the Holy Ghost living in us. So when uh, we need to bear witness of the covenant with, we're in, we operate in the Holy Ghost. We can use his name, the name that's above every name, and we can remind the enemy of the blood that he shed for us and that he's already been defeated by our covenant brother. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, you know, we sing that song, uh, Friend of God, or I don't know what the title of it is, but I am a friend of God. Well, that means I'm in covenant with God because that's what friend means in the Old Testament. Jesus called Ned at the table. He said, friend, do what you have to do. You know, in other words, covenant partners. He was reminding them they were covenant partners. Go do what you got to do. But the Holy Ghost is a constant reminder in us that we're in covenant with him. And when the enemy comes against him, we show him the scar. We show him the power of the Holy Ghost within us. Hallelujah. Uh, maybe next week, I don't know, but I'd like to do go through that covenant ceremony that Abraham and God went through uh, on that mountain where he cut them animals up and God came down and, and did that covenant walk through the bloody animals there. You check it out in the Bible. Blood is in every chapter of the Bible. Every book of the Bible, there's blood. And it's significant blood. And it all pointed and led up to the blood of, of Jesus Christ being shed on Calvary. Millions upon millions of animals' blood was shed because they had a sin offering they had all kinds of offerings, and every one of them involved the blood of an innocent animal. Uh, them temple priests, from morning till night and even beyond, all they did was shed animal blood and made sacrifices for the people. Individual sacrifices, and then uh, once a year, a sacrifice for the entire uh, nation of Israel and it all involved the blood of an innocent animal that didn't do anything to deserve it. 
and they were all types and shadows pointing to the blood of the innocent Lamb of God that would be shed someday on Calvary once and for all. No more animals. This is the sacrifice for all things. And I know a lot of uh, religions uh, and some of them even cults uh, still sacrifice animals. And uh, what's that say about the sacrifice of Christ? It wasn't good enough? No, it's the blood of Christ plus nothing. It, it, well, you got to do good works. No, it's the blood of Christ plus nothing. Yeah, but you have to say so many prayers and no, the blood plus nothing. Yeah, but you have to fast at least once. No, fasting is good. Don't get me wrong. But it's the blood plus nothing. Yeah, but you still have to be circumcised. No. If you, that's fine if that's what you want, but it's the blood plus nothing. So works don't have anything to do with it. Well, you have to be baptized in water. No, it's the blood plus nothing. Blood plus nothing equals blood. That's all we have to have is the blood, the blood of the covenant. Amen? Hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.